This program is brought to you by RBC. In order to speak up for inclusion, we need to speak about inclusion. I'm Anna Karina Tabunyar, and this is More Talent Untapped conversations about unconventional, sometimes underestimated talent, and the differences that connect us. I think that white women understand discrimination. We face it all the time. But white women might not understand racism because I feel they're different. I, I feel like sexism is awful, it, but it's like a slap in the face, whereas racism is like a, a knife stuck in you. You never forget it, and the, the pain goes deep. That's Jan Wong, a provocative Canadian writer. When we first met, she talked about her work as a newspaper columnist and her work-induced depression. This time, we covered a whole lot more. Racism, isolation, and some of the techniques she uses to keep her spirits up. Jan shifted careers from journalist to journalism professor, and now she's managing another transition. I finally decided to retire from my job teaching journalism, and that was a big shift. And I retired just as the pandemic was closing in. And so I think I have mild level constant anxiety about danger, about the danger of the virus, because I think it would be really bad to retire and die. (laughs) (laughs) It's also that everything was canceled. And I looked forward to retirement to see my children who are, one is 27, one is 30. I can't go. One of them's in the U.S. I looked forward to traveling not during the hot months because as a professor, I used to get summers off. I wanted to travel in the fall. You know, these are petty given the terrible economic situation, the terrible pandemic spread. But this is very typical of mental illness. You have a problem and then you know that other people are much worse off, but that doesn't mean you don't have a problem. And that's what people with mental illness have to realize. Whatever you're feeling is very real. And so I I know I'm angry a lot. I know I spent a lot of time obsessively trying to reorganize my house. And I, and I beat myself up every day because I should be writing. This is ideal writing time. And I'm not writing. And it's just really, I'm angry all the time at myself. And I, t- I take it out on everybody around me. I'm just mad. So you can relate, right? This, this lack of motivation. I feel like I'm in a funk some days, especially once the Black Lives Matter movement started to take off, and then hearing all those stories of anti-Asian sentiment, that was so hurtful, and I felt powerless. And for a good two weeks, I felt like I was in a funk. I thought, well, what's the point? What's the point of anything? Well, I felt like I had to practice my lines in case someone attacked me for being Asian. What do you mean? I had to practice my comeback, because when you get racially attacked... You're so shocked and you don't have, you don't know what to say. It's a jaw dropping moment where you can't even speak. So I was trying to tell my, my white friends, I, you know, I, I live in a white milieu and they didn't understand what I was talking about. And, and so that was further alienating. Like they don't get it. And I, I was just trying to practice my comeback. You know? So can you give me some that I might be able to put in my back pocket? 
Yeah, but um, one of them in, includes the F word. So I would say F U Adolf. That was oh my, my comeback. I practiced it. F U Adolf. <laughs> I think that white women understand discrimination because it's we, we face it all the time. But white women might not understand racism because I feel they're different. I, I feel like sexism is awful, it, but it's like a slap in the face, whereas racism is like a, a knife stuck in you. You never forget it, and the, the pain goes deep. So... People don't understand. They're not quite on the same level. One is is actually worse than the other. The racism, you mean? Yeah, the racism. You won't forget it. I, I talk to people and they tell me about a racist incident that happened when they were nine years old. And they don't forget that. Whereas I don't remember every sexist incident that I've experienced because, you know, it happens and it's it's not... It's not to the depth of your being the way race is. So the racist stuff I do remember. Oh, the yes. The sexist stuff, eh, it's okay. What do you not remember right? most in your career in terms of racist moments against you? Well, the racist moments would include, and, and some of them are benign, but they still hurt. So a, a racist moment in my career would be when I walk, when I was at the Globe and Mail and I would go for lunch on Spadina, we were at front in Spadina and I would go up Spadina to head to Chinatown because the neighborhood was kind of a wasteland in those days for restaurants. So I'd walk up Spadina and I'd see some of my colleagues who were returning from lunch and I'd be really excited and I'd go, hi, and <laughs> he would look right through me because a Chinese on Spadina is a dime a dozen and they had a filter. They didn't recognize you then, they didn't recognize you. No. They didn't hear me. They didn't recognize me. And I felt really stupid. If you've ever said hi to somebody and they walk right by you, you yeah. have this feeling. So I was truly invisible. I was an invisible minority. Um, the, the racist stuff, well, once my editor asked me to write a column on Chinatown, she was all excited. She said, can you write a, a column on Chinatown? This was well into my career. I mean, I'd already been the Beijing correspondent. And I looked at her like she didn't get it. She didn't get kind of how offensive that was. Uh, so I said, yeah, right. And let's call it slant. And she was like practically clapping her hands. That was she was serious? Joke. She was serious? Yeah, she was serious. I said, that was a joke. And she went, oh. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because you went to ask a Jewish reporter to write exclusive columns on the Jewish community. So I'm not going to do that. So, but she really wanted me to do it. So I said, okay, how about six? I'll do six. And I think I did six. And then I said, no, no, that's it. I mean, it was like, it's what I mean when I say white people don't get it. Like I am not the spokesperson. For Chinese said, people. I'm a China specialist. Yeah. I speak Mandarin because I learned it at university. I did not learn it growing up in my father's laundry. Okay. Like they have this idea that I'm sort of, I know about China because I'm ethnically Chinese. No, that was my major at university. Mm. I studied Chinese history. I studied Mandarin. I'm a China specialist. But no one can keep it straight. Um, here's another benign example. Um, 
the Toronto Public Library asked me to give them my papers for their archive. And so your papers so is in your 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 columns. It's a fancy word for all my garbage, like all my notebooks and my um, files and my journals. Okay. So could, writers can do this, right? And then they put me in the Chinese Canadian archive. So I didn't realize they were going to do that. They didn't tell me that. And I said, um, so would you put Nino Ricci? He's a novelist in Toronto. Would you put him in the Italian Canadian archive? Would you put Margaret Atwood in the whatever she is, Scottish Canadian archive? Like, why am I in this? Yes. And they were really embarrassed. And then, but I said, oh, never mind. It's okay. I mean, a researcher will be able to find it. But, you know, it's that idea that you can never be non hyphenated. You always. And mainstreamed. And mainstreamed. With yeah, you will never be mainstream because you look funny. I don't think you look funny. <laughs> But that's what I mean. Those yeah. are little minor things. I'm not getting a cop's knee on my neck. Okay? Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. It's very different. I don't suffer that. So you talked about frustration and helplessness and anger. How are you coping and managing all these emotions? Well, I go for walks once or twice a day. And what I do is I, one of the things I did when I moved back from Fredericton in a panic, I really moved as the borders were closing, as my classes were being canceled. Um, I came back and I started tidying. And I think that's also a mental thing. Yeah, you want to make your nest comfortable. So what I found were all these books on Toronto that I had in my dusty basement, uh, and so I, I look at a chapter and we go for a walk. We, meaning my husband and I, go for a walk. And I'm saying, okay, so you see that house? That was designed by this architect. Or you see that house? This was owned by the man who supplied plutonium. Uh, so you're a uh, historian then, right? <laughs> yeah, I do these little mini walking tours. That's how I, that's how I cope. But it does still get a little tiring after a while, right? Yeah. So when you're at a really low point, what does it feel like and what does it look like? It feels like a funk, as you say, that I get nothing done. I get up in the morning. I don't know even what day it is. So I feel like this must be what it's like to be old. So I think aging has just sort of landed on me without any warning. I don't know what, what day of the week it is, if it's a weekend or a weekday. And I don't have any plans because nobody can get together. I have a bunch of music groups that I love and I was expecting to resume. Yeah, and of course, everything's canceled. I play flute. Yes, I recall that. So are you still playing? Yes. And in um, ensemble, the flute is a super spreader. It's the only instrument that you blow across, yes. <laughs> not oh into. God. Like a trumpet, you blow right in and an oboe, nothing comes out. A flute, we're just spitting right across. So it's very dangerous. And none of my ensembles have recovered, except my flute group recently had a rehearsal. And we played outside. We, we distanced and we played outside. But, oh, so here's the thing. I recently, and, and maybe this is a message for people also feeling the, being in the doldrums, feeling a depression, 
I decided to approach a musician I know, a, a professional flautist, and ask him how he was doing because they've lost all their income. Yeah. And uh, he he's the first flute of the National Ballet Orchestra of Canada. And I said to him, Les, would you like to uh, put on a concert? I have a big backyard and uh, we can sell tickets and you can keep all the money, 100%. And he said he had to think about it because he's scared of COVID too. He's not much younger than I am. And after about a week or two, he came back and said, okay, I can do this. I've got a, a violin and a cello. So this just happened. And a week ago, uh, he we nailed down the date. And so I sent out emails to my bands and my friends. And, and I sold out. I sold out within five days. And how, what do I mean sold out? Well, I measured my backyard. And we figured some people will be couples. Yeah. I did a kind of rough estimate. And anyway, so my point is, I feel happy doing this. That's what's interesting. From a mental health perspective, I think if you can help others, you really are helping yourself. Like you just feel happy doing this. But my point is, if one way to deal with a depression or, or a light depression, not a serious one. I'm not talking serious. Serious, you need medication. You need a psychiatrist. You need a doctor. I'm talking about funk. One way to deal with funk yeah. is to go in and do something that helps other people. You know what? It's what? So you mentioned that because that is how this podcast was born. It came out of me being in a funk, thinking, what can I do that's going to make a difference? So... I'm reaching out to you today to see how your story can help others in the workforce. And by doing this, how do you feel? Let me just turn the questions around. So is it making you feel better? Oh, much. And it's given me a greater sense of purpose. And yes. I have a mission and I have a timeline. And um, I work well under deadlines, as you know, another journalist. really interesting, Jan, is how this whole COVID situation is forcing people and businesses to reinvent. You've reinvented yourself over and over from writer, professor, retiree, um, historian, Toronto house historian, <laughs> event Impresario. Player. I'm now a concert impresario. So what's next? Well, I need to write. I need to get back to my writing because I think there's things that I want to write. And if I don't, I, I could I kick myself. Like, what could be a better situation than to be retired, to still be, you know, have my faculties, to have the time and not have my economic worries? I'm I'm beyond that economic scrabbling. So I I, I like I need to I need to write and I just mad at myself. So for not writing. Question. So writers need to be inspired. If you're always in the same environment in your home, where can you go or how can you turn your home in this familiar surrounding that, you know, for a lot of us is still kind of oppressive to find that spark of inspiration? Well, the first thing I did when I moved back was I redid my living room, which is behind me. <laughs> I didn't redo it with a decorator. I just moved the furniture around. Well, it looks different. And, yeah, I wanted it different and I wanted to uh, cull some of the junk uh, 
And, and so making that, see, I work in my living room. I'm in the corner right now. I have a desk right in the corner. So I think if I create a, a space that's beautiful and clean and not messy, then I can think. So that's the first step, right? I think many writers, before they can write a word, they clean their desk. So then what's your advice for the people who are now finding themselves working many, many more hours than they're accustomed to because now they're actually living at work. So yeah, create that boundary and be able to shift when they're in the same physical space. So my advice to people stuck at home now is you got to turn off your electronics. If you need to put it in a drawer, you know, put your laptop in a drawer, you know, turn off uh, your work phone. I mean, I am semi-addicted to social media and, and reading Twitter because of the news, but that's just, I'm not working. So you have to just shut it down and, and you might have to send a message at night on your email saying, I'm now off for the night and I will look at, if you're sending me something, mm -hmm. I will be looking at this at 9am tomorrow. Because otherwise you are never off and you can't do that. You'll burn out. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you watch what's happening to our workforce now, more and more are going remote for an indefinite period of time. What's your prediction when it comes to mental health in the workplace, which is for most of us home now? It's not perfect. It's not a good thing never to interact with your colleagues at work. An ideal situation would be working from home most times, but going in maybe once a week for interaction meetings, brainstorming. I think it's important to have some workplace relationships. A Zoom meeting is okay too. I think if you already know each other, it's not perfect, but you can do it. I think the answer though, is that people have to cultivate relationships outside of work. I think so many of us, when we were in the workplace, we only had work friends. So how do you make friends outside of work? Well, you have to have some interest. Like I play music. I've made so many of my friends through music. But you can also do it through community service. There is so much need around you. And you don't even need to do an organization. Look around you. There's going to be somebody within two-minute walk of your house that could really use your help. Mm -hmm. And that's, you just... I, I guarantee if you help somebody, you'll feel really great. I so loved this conversation, Jen. Thank you so much for taking this pause for me and for more talent untapped. Um, yeah, let's check in again real soon, okay? Okay, great talking to you. More Talent Untapped is a sequel to the documentary Talent Untapped. If you're interested in a special screening of the original film, send me a note through my website, that's AnnaKarinaTabunyar.com. A-N-N-A-K-A-R-I-N-A-T-A-B-U-N-A-R. That's AnnaKarinaTabunyar.com. More Talent Untapped is made possible by our sponsors, RBC and EARN, the Employment Accessibility Resource Network, an initiative of United Way East Ontario. The people who helped put together the show are... Lindsay Voderick. Howard Sonnenberg. Ashley Wright. Colin Van Haddam. And me, Anna Karina Tapunyar. I'm back in two weeks with another episode of More Talent Untapped. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a reviewer rating, and share it to help us get the word out.